Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. One of the most decorated players in college basketball history, Tyler Hansbrough, will join us in about 60 minutes. Joining us now, a voice we heard on ACC basketball all year long, and for that matter, matter for many years now. He's part of the call tonight once again in the big bracket. For TBS, he has Texas A&M against Michigan. He has Florida State of the ACC against Gonzaga. We welcome back to the program Dan Bonner from CBS and Turner Sports in Los Angeles for that Western region. Dan, welcome back to the David Glenn Show. How are you? I'm fine, David. How are you? It's interesting. You're going to talk to one of the most decorated players in college basketball history in an hour, and you're talking to one of the least decorated <laughs> now, so that's good. But a well-decorated commentator, Mr. Dan Potter, joining us on the David Glenn Show. The ACC, for the third time in four years, has at least a quarter of the Sweet 16 by itself. What has impressed you most about not only a Duke that maybe more people uh, expected to be there, but a Clemson, a Florida State, and a Syracuse from lower seeds that has that ACC flag flying high one more time. David, that's the most amazing thing is that I'm not surprised that the ACC has that many teams remaining in the Sweet 16. For heaven's sakes, they had nine teams in the field. But what I am surprised, what does surprise me is the identity of the team. Yeah. Duke, you said, yeah, okay, sure, you would expect Duke, but Syracuse, really? Uh, you know, it, it, that's that's just that's an amazing story. And Florida State is playing better, particularly defensively. And we all have seen the Seminoles over the years when they can guard you and they get rolling offensively. They can be a pretty pretty tough draw. And I just you know you got to tip your hat to the Clemson Tigers. They've had a uh, fantastic season, uh, and I, I I actually think they'll create a pretty tough matchup for Kansas. With that in mind, if you had to just envision an upset, Syracuse over Duke or Clemson over Kansas, as you just mentioned, or the game you have tonight, Florida State-Gonzaga, who has the most realistic road to that upset in your eyes? Well, to be perfectly frank about it, uh, I think that Syracuse has the, the, the toughest road there. I mean, Duke is not a team that is unfamiliar with the Syracuse 2-3 zone, for heaven's sake, because they've adopted it. Uh, and so I just, and they played during the regular season and Duke won decisively. And I don't really, you know, Syracuse could win the game. I'm not saying they'll definitely lose, yeah. but it's just one of those things. I think the Syracuse zone has had an element of surprise to their opposition so far that won't exist. Uh, actually the team that I see with the best chance of the upset is Florida state. Uh, I don't think I've, Gonzaga is very, very good, obviously, but I don't think that the disparity in the talent of the team of the two teams is as great with Florida State and Gonzaga as it maybe maybe as as it is in the other two matchups. I watched the Seminoles a lot this year, Dan, and I just didn't see this coming at all. They they were nine and nine in conference play. They actually were better than they usually are offensively, but they were not quite as good as they usually are defensively. But they also wear these T-shirts, 18 strong. Leonard Hamilton told us when he joined us earlier this year, he didn't criticize chemistry on other teams he's had, but he kind of implied that there was something better about this year's chemistry without maybe a player or two that had one eye on the NBA draft or something like that. What have you seen that has allowed Leonard to, to get this? You know, this is only the fifth Sweet 16 in Florida State basketball history. Why did it come together this year in your eyes? Yeah, you know, that's a very interesting question, particularly after the way that they performed in the ACC tournament. Yeah. I think, well, they're done. Uh, 
But, you know, that's, that's been the interesting thing, not only about Florida State, but about college basketball in general this year. Just because a team stinks it up one night doesn't mean they will the next night. And just because the team is fabulous one night doesn't mean they will be the next night. And Florida State, they have, they're very deep, obviously. And even though Leonard, I was talking to him yesterday, uh, I was sitting there with uh, my team, uh, Kevin uh, Harland and Reggie Miller and Dana Jacobson, and Leonard is going on and on about how he's, his team isn't as long as his normal teams, and it was all I could do not to laugh. Hmm. Uh, you know, he's got seven-foot guys, he's got six-ten guys, he's got six-eight guys, and uh, but it's just one of those things where he's got—they've got an awful lot of talent. First of all, they've had eight different guys who have led them in scoring this season. You go out on the court, and you never know who for them is going to have a big game. And let's face it: once you get in the tournament, all bets are off. If you're healthy, and they are and you start playing good basketball, they, you know, why not them? They can win six games in a row as well as anybody else. We now have about a week of perspective on the first ever 16-over-1 game, UMBC taking out Virginia. Uh, we talked to Tony Bennett a lot this year. We actually had Ryan Odom on the show earlier this week uh, as he's kind of celebrating such a milestone. How do you, you've, you've followed the Cavaliers for a long time. I mean, they were 31-2. and two. They didn't flinch through close games. They didn't flinch if they had a small deficit. And yet in the second half, Dan, the Cavaliers didn't look like the Cavaliers to me. How do you wrap your basketball brain over something we had never seen before, a one-seed UVA in this case falling to a 16-seed? I'm not sure that I have still been able to wrap my brain around that. Uh, Not only was Virginia a one seed, they were the one seed. And deservedly so. By every metric that you could possibly imagine, they were head and shoulders the best team in the tournament. And, you know, I I just, I don't know. First of all, I think UMBC played a tremendous game. Uh, You watched, they they didn't make those kind of shots against Kansas State. Uh, I mean, they were throwing it off the chandelier sometimes. Yeah basket it was gone but that happens in the NCAA tournament and I think that part of it had to do with missing DeAndre Hunter and I know how silly that sounds that's one guy but I think he was the guy that when they needed help he provided that's why he was the sixth man of the year in the ACC that uh, you know you get into those tight games and you can look back they had a lot of tight games against teams and it just seemed like every time it was DeAndre Hunter would go in the game, make a couple of baskets, get a rebound, block a shot, get a steal, something like that, and that would get the Cavaliers rolling. So they didn't have that. And then late in the second half of that game, I mean, the kids out on the court, they're aware that number one seeds are 135-0, and and so I think they're 19-year-old kids. They panic. That happens. Dan Bounder is joining us on the David Glenn Show, longtime college hoops analyst for CBS Sports. On tonight's calls, he will be on TBS with the crew he mentioned, Texas A&M, Michigan, and also Florida State against Gonzaga. The Ken Palm has an experience metric, among many others, at his website. And Villanova, Duke, and Kentucky – which I could project into my final four, are are listed as three of the least experienced teams out of the 68 that made this tournament. And yet it just doesn't seem to matter. I mean, is there any reason to doubt Villanova or Duke or Kentucky because of that experience factor? We, We used to seem to place a lot more weight on that, and yet... I don't see any reason, you know, seven freshmen at, at Kentucky or four starters as freshmen at Duke. I just don't see a compelling reason why that inexperience factor would hold those three schools back. Do you? 
No, I agree with you 100%. Uh, and let's, let's be honest now. Uh, we had, I mean, teams have played 35, 36 games. Uh, we, we played an entire season. Yeah. Freshmen, these freshmen we're talking about, they've started all year long. They've seen all kinds of situations in a college basketball game, and now all of them have played two in the win or go home NCAA tournament. So I don't really think it's like they're high school kids walking into this for the first time anymore. So the experience factor, you know, I don't know. And all these metrics drive me crazy. Hmm. I, I remember a conversation with uh, Nolan Richardson that I had many years ago where he said to me, there's only one statistic in a basketball game that needs anything, and that's the score. <laughs> and there's only one way you can score. And the most important thing you need to score is the ball. <laughs> so there's, there's only three ways in a, college ba- in a basketball game where you can get the ball. You take it out of the net after the other team scores, and you don't want to do that because, remember, the most important thing is the score. The other way is you rebound the ball after a miss, and the third way is you take it. You force a turnover. And so the whole objective of this thing, all these metrics and everything aside, is who can get the ball, and then what can they do with the ball once they get it? And those three teams that you mentioned, particularly Duke and Villanova, who I saw last weekend, dear Lord, either one of those teams, I think, could have beaten the Warriors. But their teams right now, they're getting the ball, and they're making great use of the ball, and that's really the only stat that matters this time of the year. We had Shaka Smart of Texas as a guest last hour, and of course, seven years ago, he took VCU all the way to the Final Four as an 11 seed, so he shared some memories of that. In this year's still-standing Sweet 16, and this is always fun for Turner Sports and CBS and us as media or fans, uh, there is an 11 seed Loyola Chicago. There are some nine seeds, right? Florida State you'll have tonight, Kansas State taking on uh, Kentucky in another bracket. There are some sevens left, including what looks like a dangerous Nevada team. Is there a version of Cinderella in this year's field, even if it's not a double-digit seed, uh, that you think, either because of how they're playing or how the bracket has fallen, has the best chance to be a surprise team in San Antonio at the Final Four? Well, I I certainly think there is a Cinderella. And isn't her name Sister Jean from what I've seen? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, uh, No, this the Loyola Chicago team, I had the opportunity to see them in person out in the Missouri Valley tournament. And I was very impressed with the way that they space the floor out, with the way all their guys can shoot, with the fact that they don't foul, with the fact that they don't turn it over. I think it's a very difficult matchup that they have against Nevada. There's no question about that. This is a Nevada team that is playing really, really well, sparked by guys who used to play at NC State, by the way. Right. Uh, but so I think it's a very, very good Nevada, uh, Nevada team. But I, again, Loyola Chicago just has that magic going, and they can make shots. And then let's say they beat Nevada and they face off against Kentucky. Well, I think that becomes a very compelling matchup because I, I think that Loyola is a team the likes of which Kentucky hasn't seen all year. Uh, of course, Kentucky's a team <laughs> Loyola hasn't seen all year, too. But that's what's fun about this tournament. So the answer to your question is that my vote for Cinderella goes to Sister Jean and her uh, Loyola Ramblers. And I did, I mentioned to Mark Few yesterday, I wanted to know if his priest was upset with the pub that Sister Jean was getting in. They said no. (laughs) Dan Bonner is joining us. As we let you go, one coaching carousel thing. The last 24 hours had Dan Hurley 
uh, how, leaving three schools hoping they would get him. Rhode Island hoping he would stay, Pitt of the ACC hoping he would take their $3 million plus a year, and UConn of the AAC. And it looked like the best job of those three was the one that got Dan Hurley, as announced earlier today. When you think, Dan, about Louisville and its place in the food chain or pecking order of men's basketball, they view themselves as one of the six best jobs in the country. They have officially let David Padgett move on after his interim year. How do you describe that job? Because now that UConn is filled and and some others have been filled, I mean, Pitt is not a top-tier job. Is Louisville still a top six or so job, even though they've been dealing with more negative headlines than we can count lately? David, at this point in time, I would have to say that Louisville is a job that anybody would be crazy to touch with a 10-foot pole. Uh, I mean, they're already in deep, deep trouble with the NCAA about the whole hooker-stripper thing uh, that they admitted that they did. There's no question about that. Uh, there is there is some uncertainty about this bribery thing, but obviously Louisville thought it was serious enough that it cost Rick Pitino his job and the jurist, the athletic director. But if this turns out that another NCAA investigation reveals that Louisville actually did the kinds of things they've been accused of doing, and that's a big if, but if that happens, if there's any reason for the NCAA to ever use the death penalty to suspend, suspend the basketball program, this is it. You're already in NCAA jail, and then you're, you know, you're basically caught, uh, you know, like Al Capone, still running your operation from prison. And uh, so, therefore, at this point in time, with all the uncertainty around Louisville, I think that that would be a very dangerous job to take. Who would want to take the job? And then, let's say they do impose the death penalty, and uh, they got to suspend the program for two years. Then what do you do? So I. I just think that Louisville's a very bad job at this point in time, although historically it has not been so. Quick follow-up. Louisville apparently has its sights on Chris Mack of Xavier. You talk to a lot of coaches. At one end of the spectrum, Mark Few could have left Gonzaga, and you have his game tonight. You know, it feels like 20 different times, right? He's stayed there. He's a legend there. He's going to have his own statue there if he doesn't already have one. And yet most of the coaches we know, Dan, you know, Dan Hurley gets the offer from UConn and he leaves Rhode Island. That's usually the choice. And even at Xavier, we've seen Bob Stack leave for Wake Forest, Pete Gillen left for Providence, Skip Prosser left for Wake Forest, Thad Mata left for Ohio State, Sean Miller left for Arizona, and now here's Chris Mack eight years in. Uh, What have you learned in terms of words of wisdom when these coaches have these huge, life-changing, career-altering forks in the road because there can be pluses to staying, like Mark Few at Gonzaga, but sometimes if you stay too long, you end up getting fired rather than reaching for the better job and the bigger paycheck. I think basically if you stay anywhere too long, you're going to end up getting fired. The, the Mark Fuse and Jim Beheims and Roy Williams and Mike Krzyzewski's of the world uh, are the outliers, not the typical thing. But I'm telling you what, Chris Mack and Xavier, now they didn't do it this year because uh, they they lost, that, 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 you know, that they lost obviously, but He's he basically you look you look up and there Chris Mack has Xavier in the Sweet Sixteen, yeah. and so where is Chris Mack going to go, where he is going to have as good an opportunity to get to the Sweet Sixteen and then obviously to the Elite Eight in the Final Four as he has in Xavier? He's built a marvelous program at Xavier, uh, and it's not like they play in a mid-major league. For yeah. heaven's sakes, they're in the Big East. So if I'm Chris Mack. 
you know, I don't know why I would want to leave that position. But of course, uh, the answer is obviously money, but, and I, I don't know Chris that well, but he seems to me to be a very grounded person. And I know everybody's talking about him for the Louisville job, but if I were Chris Mack, I would not go anywhere near that Louisville job. Not now. You do make an interesting point. All those other coaches who left Xavier, and they haven't had to fire a coach for almost 40 years because they all left voluntarily for a bigger job. All of them left Xavier when they were members of different leagues. Uh, so the, the Big East factor is different for Chris Mack, and that is a heck of a basketball league, as you said. Dan, always fun. Uh, we, we look forward to you helping call the games tonight. Thanks for the time, as always, on the David Glenn Show. Well, thanks for asking me, David. Always enjoy being on. Appreciate that. Dan Bonner of CBS Sports and Turner Sports. TBS will have the call tonight. Texas A&M against Michigan. Florida State against Gonzaga. That is the nightcap of the four.